when we, when we move from Christmas into ordinary time, we sort of have this sequential experience of the gospel. Sometimes they jump around, but, you know, we're going from his, his birth and his, his first moments to the beginning of his, of his public ministry, which is initiated um, at his baptism by John in the Jordan. And it continues uh, today. And so we have um, him leaving that region because uh, John was killed. And so, you know, he realizes he probably should leave and uh, seek some safety. And uh, in doing so, he's continuing his ministry and beginning his ministry, really. The focus being, number one, the proclamation of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has arrived. Um, This is a message that the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. Salvation has arrived, and it's in him. And as he's doing so, of course, he calls apostles to assist in his ministry. And this is uh, the dynamic that I'd, I'd like to focus on for the homily today. So he's calling these apostles, and when we hear it, You know, so there's Simon and Andrew and James and John. And he calls them to follow, and we're told they immediately leave everything and follow him. Now, it probably isn't, I mean, you might say, well, that had to happen that way. Well, I mean, it did, but there had to be more to it, right? Because they're human beings with families and responsibilities, They're not going to just leave all of the, it would be irresponsible and irrational for them just to leave all of that without some kind of preparation. Furthermore, they didn't know Jesus was God. They didn't know that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe yet. So the motivation to follow him just at the drop of a hat doesn't really make a lot of sense. The tertiary reason, you know, or observation is there's no way that Christ would have just sort of uh, you know, cast us some kind of divine spell on them to get them to do something because God will never take away our free will to get us to do something. In fact, he, he maintains our free will at all times intentionally. So I think, though, that we can, we can infer that this was not the first conversation he had with them or it wasn't the first experience they had with him that he had to have been known in some way. And these are not large communities. I mean, it's not a, you know, these aren't giant metropolises. So it's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that they did know him. Now, all that being said, I could be wrong. <laughs> but it just seems to follow from human experience that there had to be more to the story. But what is the essential point of the story? And this is what we have to remember about Scripture is that a lot of times we want to focus on the details that don't really matter. They're not at the core of what matters. What matters is they were waiting to hear his voice. And when they did, they acted. They had a disposition of being ready to hear that call. And when they heard the call, they acted. That is the most essential nugget of this, you know, this, this story of the calling of the first apostles is not just that Jesus does it, but their disposition to respond to the call. You know, a lot of times the, 
the apostles get sort of a bad rap. People will say things like, you know, they, you know, they're kind of dumb or they don't, you know, they don't get all the right answers or they, they don't answer the, you know, sometimes they, they miss the plot, et cetera. They were fishermen. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman, especially at that time. You know, it's a very necessary skill and trade and art. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But they're not theologians. They're not studied in the ways of God, you know, as though, you know, they're not, they haven't heard the stories their whole lives. They're experiencing this man for the first time and they're trying to figure out, as it's being revealed, who he is. You know, it's, so when we, we, we might criticize him, but, you know, Jesus asking him these questions, you got to think that half the time they're like, we don't know. You know we don't know. Ask us about fishing. We know how to fish. You're asking us about, you know, divine realities? We don't know. It's like a teacher who asks you the question, they know the answer, but they know that you don't know the answer, but they want to ask you because they want to demonstrate that you don't know the answer. You know, those teachers. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure that the apostles at some points were kind of exasperated. You know, Jesus was with them too because he's like, don't you get it? No, we don't get it. Now, what's interesting about the dynamic there is Jesus just calls regular guys. And this is really, really important. There's nothing seemingly particularly special about any of them. And I think it's, well, I mean, who am I to say it's a good idea? You know, it was God's idea. But I, I think that that really matters as we respond to our call. These guys were, I mean, one of them was a complete failure as an apostle, but, and that was Peter. We're not even talking about Judas. They all, well, except for John, my namesake. I'll always point that one out. But they all abandoned the Lord in, in the end at the cross. They weren't there. They weren't there. They weren't there to bury him. They deserted him. They abandoned him because of their fear. They were imperfect men. And that's good news. That is good news. Because men, all of you and me, are imperfect too. Women, <laughs> I have to say it, you are too. Don't get mad at me. Be more gentle with you than the men. But we're all imperfect. And God in his, I don't know, it's, it's really amazing if you think about it. God has chosen to build his kingdom and his church around our imperfection and use it. So here he finds, you know, it, it begins, this is the beginning of it, but, but in the scriptures, he, he founds his church, his Catholic church, on the apostles intentionally. Just like the father had founded his church on Abraham, Jesus founds his church of the new covenant on Peter and his apostles and successors. It was very clear in scripture, very intentional. Historically, it's exactly what happened. But he chose imperfection to do it. You know, a lot of times we um, lament our imperfections. We lament those, those things that you know, we kind of like to get rid of. But those are actually the things that make us distinct. 
I mean, if, if you were perfect, what could, there, what, what could really be said of you except for that? It's our imperfections that, that really make us individuals in many ways, in many ways. It's more than that, but that's part of it. And some of the imperfections in, in people we love are some of the things we love the most about them. And, and certainly in relationships, some of the things that, that give great humor to those relationships. So the imperfection is not something to run away from. It's really something to embrace because God has decided, despite those imperfections, he wants us to be a part of it. All right, let me circle back to the apostles and their call, their disposition. So being a Christian is not principally about adhering intellectually to a number of propositions about God. God is perfect. God is love. God is Jesus is my savior. Jesus, you know, the creed or, or you know, uh, the further teachings, the, the catechism, all of it matters. It absolutely matters. I've spent the majority of my life studying all of that stuff and staying up in my head. And it's not even the most important stuff. And I'm not saying that was a waste of time. The knowing assists with the loving. There are two powers of the soul, the intellect, which seeks knowledge, and the will, which finds its perfection in love. And as human persons, we should seek to be as integrated as possible, not merely being beholden to the intellect and then there's no love. Who is that? Is that the tin man? We go back to the wizard, tin man, right? He didn't have a heart. Who didn't have the brain, the scarecrow? Yeah, here we go, Wizard of Oz. Pretty soon we're gonna be listening to the dark side of the moon and watching Wizard of Oz. If you know that deep cut, you know. Anyway, um, so anyway, being an integration, an integrated human person is to, is to try to have a bit of a balance there. And what can happen with people of faith, um, and I'll say particularly men, but not just men, but particularly men, is it's safe to stay in the intellect. It's safe because it gives a similitude of control, right? I need to understand everything. I need to understand, before I, before I do anything, I need to understand it. I need to know why, I need to know why, I need to know why. Remember Job, such a crucial book in the Bible, Job. Everything's taken away. He's in suffering. He doesn't know why. And the whole book of Job is him asking why. Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Why? After a while, it's like, wow, this could be a lot shorter. Because it just goes on and on and on and on and on. At a certain point, God has enough. I mean, that's really how it reads. And he shows up. And basically, he says, who are you to question me? Did you create the heavens and the earth? Do you hold them in existence? And all of being in existence that I have, I have known the world since its foundation because I am its foundation. All of your whys don't matter. Anyway, the Lord gets done with this, you know, kind of soliloquy, and Job gives up. He just says, forget it. It doesn't matter. He doesn't say it defeatedly. He just, when he experiences the reality of God, the questions don't matter. St. Thomas Aquinas, the greatest theologian the church has ever known, brilliant, 
volumes and volumes and volumes. They're not even all translated into English. There's so many volumes of Thomas Aquinas, most brilliant theologian. We have a quote from him, or semi, somewhat of a quote, looking upon all that he had written, because he was a mystic. He was a mystic. He knew God. He knew, just, he didn't just know about God. He knew God intimately. And his comment about his writings was, it is all worth straw compared to the majesty of God, which is not a degradation of what he wrote. It's incredibly important. But the experience of God is so much more than he could ever write. Trying to explain the mystery and the reality, a great service indeed, and worth it. But it's nothing compared to God in his reality. See, what the Lord is after is, um, he's after more our hearts than really our minds. Because he knows there is no way the finite mind that he created will ever be satisfied with an answer of faith of Because there's always another, yeah, but what if? And you can spend your entire life spinning, spinning like a a windmill in your head around all these questions and never act and waste your life. And so the Lord doesn't give a lot of those answers, which quite frankly, we would like him to give because he knows he cannot, you cannot explain the infinite to the finite. You can't do it. The gulf is too large. So what he's looking for is this disposition of being ready to act. And when we hear the call, we act. Like a sprinter, you know, in the blocks getting ready for that gun to go off. They're so ready. They're so ready. And when it goes, they're ready. And they go. And now, to hear the voice of God then, and this is how I'll finish. How do we hear the voice of God? I think there's two principal ways to approach this. I'm sure there are more, but I'm going to give you two. The first is in our daily prayer, it matters that we would try to create some space for silence. To have some silence in that prayer. So that you know, we're really good about the wordiness in prayer, what we need, what we want. But to actually carve out, it doesn't even have to be long. I mean, just one minute of silence with nothing else, if you've not done that, can be quite a challenge. But it can also be quite illuminating. A regular practice of just giving some space to sit and rest in the Lord. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this disposition that the apostles had. They were ready to go whenever. They were doing their jobs, they were doing their work, they were, they were living their lives, but they always had God in mind. They were ready. And what happens when you have the disposition of the Lord always being with you is he will speak in those moments throughout the day. The more that you get used to inviting God in to everything, the more that you will find God giving you these little epiphanies, 
these little hints and suggestions throughout the day. I mean, it feels magical. Those of you who know, you know. Those of you who don't know, it's life-changing. Just, just trust me. Try to incorporate this disposition throughout the entirety of your day that God is with you, moving within you in everything you do, right next to you, helping you, encouraging you, never abandoning you. What he's after is our hearts. Give your heart to God. It will change your life for the better. Please stand.